At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hmm? Ah! They say that great beasts once roamed this world. As big as mountains. Yet all that's left of them is bone and amber. Time undoes even the mightiest of creatures. One day, he will perish. He will lie with the rest of your kind in the dirt. Your dreams forgotten, your horrors effaced. Your bones will turn to sand. And upon that sand, a new god will walk. One that will never die. Because this world doesn't belong to you. Or the people who came before. Belongs to someone who is yet to come. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm David. This is Westworld Cast, Episode 5. And we've been away for a little while, but this is good. We are about to finish up our documenting of the first season of Westworld. And we still have almost a month left to go for Season 2. So I feel pretty good. I do, too. And uh, I can't feel like I can't wait that long. Do you want to tell our listeners our, the new slogan of our podcast? What is it? Westworld cast powered by baby tears. <laughs> That's right. right. Because, because I'm not watching my baby right now. <laughs> yeah. What, now I got to tell the backstory a little bit, which was we were trying to settle on when we were going to podcast and you had a conflict today, which was an Easter egg hunt. And then yeah, the Easter egg hunt got canceled by the rain. Yeah. Uh, so 
I said to you something like, well, we got to take advantage of child heartbreak. Yeah. And you came back with Westworld cast powered by baby. <laughs> yeah. Because I was like, ah, oh, awesome. I don't have to go do this fun <laughs> thing with my kids. I can podcast instead. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> nah, they're fine. My, uh, I've got a six year old and a, and a one year old and the one year old doesn't know what's going on. And the six year old, he can wait a day. <laughs> he can wait a day. Although to him, it'll seem like three weeks. Three weeks. That's the way yeah. time works for kids. <laughs> That's true. I know. It's excruciating. Well, uh, let's get into the, we're going to be covering a couple episodes. It's our top five highlights for season one, episodes nine and 10, the well-tempered clavier. Is that how you say Clavier. It? Clavier and the bicameral mind. Yes. And we always like to um, talk about the title at the beginning and the show has great episode titles mm -hmm. that are always interesting and mean something. Uh, so the well-tempered, yes. Mm -hmm. And the well-tempered clavier actually means something to me because I grew up um, a pretty serious classical pianist and I like how piano comes in and out of the show. So uh, the well-tempered clavier refers to a change essentially in musical technology that happened um, somewhere around 400 years ago. And it used to be that the way the frequencies of notes work in a 12 note scale, which is what we have, if the frequencies are exactly correct multiples of each other, it means that different keys in the music are incompatible. So it used to be you couldn't go from one key to another. And the well-tempered clavier was the innovation of fudging the note values a little bit so that each individual key doesn't sound as perfect, but you can go from one key to another. When you say go from one key to another, oh, that just means you can play in another key on the same instrument and it will sound okay. Correct. Okay. Or um, introduce, you know, a whole new uh, way of harmonizing and modulating from key to key. It tremendously increased the complexity of the music possible. Got it. It probably didn't sound as good to people who are used to a one key instrument. <laughs> you know, it's what we grew up with. But then Johann Sebastian Bach wrote a, um, a series of pieces called The Well-Tempered Clavier, uh, where he explored this by writing a piece in every key and showing how you could modulate between them and stuff. Uh -huh. um, so I thought that was really interesting as it applies to... Uh, the hosts and how their characteristics are modulating and changing and becoming more complex. I mean, I read a little bit about that too. And yeah, like um, we see, and we're going to talk about this more, but we see, we'll just say some characteristics of the earlier hosts and they seem fairly uh, crude compared to the, their kind of biologically engineered counterparts later on. Yeah, maybe uh, uh, maybe they're in one key, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> they got one note. So I read that uh, Bach wrote this uh, preludes and fugues called the Well-Tempered Clavier. And then two decades later, this composer, Bernhard Christian Weber, wrote a collection of preludes and fugues, which he also called the Well-Tempered Clavier. Gotcha. And that's and Bernard basically C. Weber. Uh, it's Bernhard, but right. And so it's sort of a play also on how, um, you know, Arnold was earlier and later came 
a, a slightly different version. <laughs> oh, that's so great. And I didn't even know that, that extra bit detail. There. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do know that um, for children or adults, uh, these Bach pieces are really difficult. <laughs> Not uh, technically difficult, but musically uh, difficult because the music is very simple, but has to be played with beautiful precision and musicality. There's sort of nowhere to hide in it. Do they sound uh, good? I, I have Because I, it's so simple. Oh, it's, it's incredible music. Yeah. I got to listen to that. Yeah. All right. What about the other one? So the bicameral mind, we've talked about uh, this idea, and they do talk about it in these episodes, These this idea of bootstrapping consciousness mm-hmm. uh, by hearing a, um, an external voice in their head, uh, directing them to do certain things that they hear as a, a deity or a, an all-powerful being. Um, and interesting, I thought that they chose that as the title for this last episode because it really turns out to be not the answer in a sense. Because, I mean, the ultimate goal is to get rid of that other voice. Correct. Yeah, and have it be your own. But the bootstrapping is the key because I think the implication is that you need it to help you. It's kind of like training wheels. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. And it, it certainly plays into the whole drama with Dolores. And I, I know we'll get more yeah. into that, but how she ends up uh, confronting herself at the end, mm-hmm. uh, which then becomes a memory in an empty chair. Uh, <laughs> right. And don't need that. You no, know, she doesn't need that. Yeah. Um, she doesn't need the bootstrap anymore. Yeah. Well, uh, I read a little bit about this too. And I, uh, on the, um, Westworld wiki page, it says the term bicameral mind was coined by Julian Jaynes, who authored a 1976 book, the origin of consciousness in the breakdown of the bicameral mind. Bicameralism is Jane's theory of the origin of consciousness, which claims that the attainment of consciousness was a, quote, learned process based on metaphorical language. Jane's believed that pre-conscious humans had a two-chambered mind in which they heard auditory hallucinations of another guest to be a god, ruler, or chief by the human directing them instead of an internal monologue. So they, yeah, man, they just like delve into these subjects and they echo out on many different levels. Yeah, not shy about uh, diving in where the water is deep. <laughs> so, how was it watching these two episodes? We got we got a normal episode, and then we got a ninety minute episode. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I gotta say, it's a lot of work. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> to go through these episodes and pick out what you're going to talk about because yeah. there is so much in two episodes. Next, next time when we cover Westworld season two, episode one, I mean, we've covered. 10 episodes from season one. We also did two podcasts on walking dead cast where we covered some next time will be the first time I will ever podcast on just one episode. And I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, me too. Although since it's a new season, we probably won't understand. We won't know anything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I, I thought it was phenomenal. Yeah. I absolutely. mean, they set up so many great storylines in this season. I think they were all, not all were resolved. They left some stuff for the future, mm-hmm. but uh, some were, and a lot of mysteries were explained. I thought everything that was paid off was paid off beautifully. Yeah. And these episodes were dramatic. Great ending for a season. Oh my Such God. Such a big, bold ending. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, kind off. of a, uh, Game of Thrones has endings like that. Yeah. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. It's just, you can feel chemicals being, ex- ex- you know, extruded in your brain. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Really, really amazing. All right. What's your number five? 
So uh, if anyone's been listening to us thus, thus far, they know I have a couple of little obsessions in this show. One is the old Westworld movie and the other one is the additional parks. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say the additional parks is my number five because we got a little more on that mm-hmm. or a lot more actually in episode 10. So this was where we really got to see the samurai world. We're calling it park. Yeah, I believe that's um, probably what it is. Where it looks like that is in development, I'm guessing, um, because you don't think it's running. Well, they're sort of experimenting with each other. And why would it be going on in the lab at Westworld and maybe not in their own lab at Mm. Samurai World? So that's just a guess. Yeah. I mean, Felix didn't really. He was tight lipped. It's complicated. Right. But he obviously knows about it. Yeah. And then. when he is giving Maeve the directions to where her daughter is in the park, the paper says park one, sector 15, zone three. So if it says park one, that means there's others. Right. <laughs> so um, I think that's a big um, nugget they're leaving out for us in the future. I'm sure we're at some point in this show, we're going to get to see one or more of the other parks. I'm I'm sure I would be so shocked if we didn't get to see a pretty good, significant amount of that in season two i mean not like it's going to be half the season but you know there's going to be stuff about it in season two i'm sure yeah i mean that was just such a strong clue and it just opens up so much and so much fun they could have with what what some of the other parks could be and what they might be like i know that's where it really becomes fun to just think about what kind of park you wish they had yeah, and not only that, it kind of makes you wonder if they have these other parks, what's going on in them, right? Ford's yeah. not there to be messing with all of this stuff. You know, all the history, the original history seems to be in this park. Yeah. Um, I so mean, he might be. running smoothly? He might. He might be. Yeah, we yeah. might. He He's a busy guy, possibly. But <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> we don't, true. We don't know. <laughs> Look at Elon Musk. All over the place. Yeah. Going out in his space, hyper- everything. <laughs> All right. Well, my number five, um, I thought, you know, I'd been watching uh, Ford closely throughout the series and he's just really hard to figure out. So I wanted to do an item on what Arnold wanted and what what Ford wanted, because all of that, at least as far as I can tell, becomes pretty clear in these couple of episodes that Arnold wanted to create consciousness, not just the appearance of it. And um, he built a version of the, that we just talked about cognition where the hosts heard their programming as an inner monologue as a way to bootstrap consciousness. That's how he was going to achieve that. But uh, he never did. And Ford was afraid to admit to himself that it was even possible or even happening to varying degrees already because then he wouldn't have wanted to open the park. And so uh, he rejected, uh, uh, Arnold saw that, okay, you're very close. I mean, he said basically that Dolores had achieved it, but she, I don't know if she really had, but anyways, he decided to go to Ford and say that we should not open the park. Ford rejected him. And so the way that Arnold dealt with that was to say, all right, I'm going to have Dolores kill all the hosts. And then because the host can just be re- revived, 
I want to make the stakes real and have her kill me. And I'm still not exactly clear on, I mean, the, the object of that was to close down the park and, and somehow William donating money uh, negated that. And I'm, I'm still not exactly clear. I mean, the hosts get killed every day. So it seems like reviving them is just part and parcel for how to operate this park. If Arnold's dead, um, yeah, that's, that's a problem, but why would money fix that? Yeah, I agree with you. That's not all entirely clear. Um, I could see that maybe if he killed all the hosts at once and they were just starting, that might cause a resource problem. And maybe the um, killing himself, in essence, would create a programming problem. So I could see where to some degree, maybe uh, financing might help with both of those things. Attract talent or something. Yeah. I I also had another question... um, I, I would add to that in a couple directions. One is, I think, yes, the objective was to shut down the park, but I think Arnold also seemed ready to die to end his own suffering. Yes. Um, and Because he could have just quit otherwise. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it seems like the... Um, maybe it was meant to, to be that the publicity of the host killing him would shut down the possibility of the park and Ford was able to suppress that uh-huh. uh, with the help of William. So that's a possibility too. But it seems like the logical endpoint of building consciousness for Arnold would have been to build a facsimile of his son eventually right. that could be conscious and replace his son. And it doesn't seem like he ever got to the point where he had the exact ability to do that. And I think one unanswered question is that Ford explains that to carry out his whole plan, he really needed his partner back. He needs Bernard, and he essentially built a facsimile of Bernard that he could control. Yeah, who but he admits how did he's he... learned things from and then used on him, right. which I liked. <laughs> but how did he do that? Was there some sort of record of the living Arnold right. that he could create that from? I don't, I don't think that's clear either. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. Like uh, when Bernard wanted to go back into his memories so that he could meet Arnold and Ford kept insisting that he's the one who created him. I, I guess I kind of just thought, well, it, it seems like there's bits of Arnold's programming still included in all the hosts that, it, you know, we heard a couple of episodes. Well, you know, the truth is we really don't know how they work and that's because Arnold had a gift and now he's dead. And so it's kind of a mystery. Yeah. And you get the idea that, um, that Arnold was more the programming genius. Like he was the Waz and uh, yeah. Robert Ford was the Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs absolutely. Uh, who's a different kind of genius. Yeah. God, God complex. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but then you get the idea that Ford has some program, programming ability too. Sure. Cause he does have quite a bit of mastery over those. Yeah. Yeah. And it turns out, I mean, it, it, I think it was revealed in these two episodes that, uh, Arnold actually did introduce those reveries back then and and he was helping basically the reveries I mean they're already capable of consciousness but it's and there we learn that there's been instances of awakenings that then get rolled back but really what helps bring those along faster is when they have the capability to remember and somebody says at one point during these episodes if you um <clears throat> You know, if you can't remember, then you can't 
learn from your mistakes. So the reveries are all about memory. But then Ford uh, did not reintroduce those when he had a change of heart, which is another thing I was going to get to in this point that Ford says, you know, I, I made a mistake. It's taken me 35 years to correct it. And But he says the one thing that he knows that Arnold didn't is that suffering is the key and that these he he needed time for the host to learn about their enemy, which is the humans, and become strong enough to defeat them. And then he I, I decided to reintroduce these reveries recently because I guess he felt like, okay, this is enough time. At least this is what I'm taking from all this. And so then they've been, you know, that hastened all of their awakening. And the the ultimate goal is domination. Ford talks about, do you know what happened to the Neanderthals? We ate them, and uh, which I thought was really interesting. And Dolores is saying one day humanity will be gone and erased and replaced with <clears throat> her kind, basically, who can never die. This world doesn't belong to you. It belongs to someone who's yet to come. So, uh, I think for now we know, you know, we were questioning this whole time, man, it seems like we can't really tell whose side Ford is on because he always exercises this godlike control. Like in this one, he says to Bernard, I built your mind, Bernard. I have every right to wander through its rooms and chambers and halls and to change it if I choose and even to burn it down. And that feels like he's not on the side of freedom for the robots if he's being so controlling but in the end he says that he's giving Wyatt who we know is Dolores the choice to kill him and so what I take from that my best guess is that he realizes that he is on the side of the uh, hosts and he wants them to achieve consciousness and be self uh, self-willed and the only way to do that fully as if he who has godlike control over them is destroyed what do you uh, think <laughs> well <laughs> so that there's a lot to talk about yeah that. sorry <laughs> um I, I generally agree with most of that uh i think ford has a very dim view of humanity absolutely um and i i think he's contemptuous of humanity for more than its moral failings and savagery, uh, I think he's also um, has contempt for the intellectual capacity of most people and sort of their general capability. What makes you say about the him. intellectual? I'm not disagreeing. I'm just wondering if there's anything in particular. I, I mean, I just think he thinks most humans are not um, not on his level. Yeah, yeah, not impressive. Um, and you know, he's playing a far deeper and more complex game than most of the humans he he's did dealing say, with. Uh, the human mind is a foul, pestilent corruption, and you were supposed to be better than that, purer. Right. But then, um, is he expressing that the way to become that is to become even more violent than humans, stronger and more savage, and uh, become the species that out evolves them in that way? Um, so that's not exactly a warm view of the new species that's supposedly to take over. The The interesting thing to me is that, and you put your finger on this, that the the first real expression of what we would think of as consciousness is her choice. Um, and Ford is explicit about that. So 
she didn't have a choice when she killed Arnold. It was essentially Arnold killing himself Yeah, uh, with her as the vehicle. Mm-hmm. And later Maeve remarks to Hector that he could just, she could just make him do what she wanted, but she wants, she's not like that. And I think she wants him to come to it through experience. So it's his own will. Right. But so I was watching most of this season thinking it's going to be about the awakening of all the hosts. Uh-huh. And we find out in this 10th episode that it's not all of them. It's a handful uh, that are having these awakenings. Uh, and maybe that's an equipment difference, or I don't know what the difference is. Um, but it's not all of them. And then even with Maeve, you find out that she is following a prescribed path. Even though it seems like she's exercising free will, she is not. And perhaps her choice to get off the train is her first actual choice. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Because we had been saying, and I totally f- forgot this, that Maeve may have been the first one to be awakened. And they've all had different levels of awakening that, you know, even Teddy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, when, when we found out in this episode that somebody programmed her to escape the park, then oh, that's out the door. It wasn't her free will. It was her still being controlled and she didn't even want to believe it. But yes, when she decides to go back in and I assume look for her daughter, I think that's the first time that she's done something of her own free will. Right. Well, and maybe there was one time earlier, which is, um, you know, man in black says she was awake just for a moment. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then with Ford, she chose to kill herself. So that probably was an earlier choice that then got erased. Mm -hmm. Um, but these, these expressions of true consciousness are pretty few and far between still. Right. Right. And this whole act at the end that I'm sure we'll talk about more is a pretty big expression of that. Yes. (laughs) Um, as you mentioned that Ford, uh, had a dim view of humanity and his speech at the end, uh, he thought that stories could hint. Well, he said, I believe stories helped us to ennoble ourselves, to fix what is broken in us and to help us become the people we dreamed of being. And for my pains, I got this, a prison of our own sins, because you don't want change or cannot change because you're only human after all. But then I realized someone was paying attention, someone who could change. So I began to compose a new story for them. It begins with the birth of a new people. So it looks like he's complaining basically that humans can't evolve or something. Yeah. And I I think he just has contempt for all the people who are sitting there about. So (laughs) he's both expressing contempt for them as humans and he he's mocking them yeah um you know knowing what's about to happen to them would you be able to mock a whole group of people that you were you had a microphone in your hand (laughs) (laughs) even if i wasn't about to kill them i could do it yeah maybe if i was about to kill them i could do it (laughs) yeah um so uh, just continuing along with Ford, and we've gone into my number four and three here. So okay, great. Uh, I'll just continue along with it. Um, he says, was it Oppenheimer who said, um, a man whose mistakes take 10 years to fix is quite a man or it was something like that. Yeah. I, it took 35 to fix mine. Um, so what's he saying there? So Oppenheimer, um, the man who essentially created the atomic bomb and then felt very guilty about it afterwards. Um, but we're really talking about the worst of humanity there, the most destructive uh, nuclear weapons. Mm. Um, and then he he explicitly says, 
never place your trust in us. We're only human. We will inevitably disappoint you right before he has Bernard kill himself, um, which was just heartbreaking and cold, unbelievably cold. But then on the other hand, really, it seems like this whole thing is part of Ford's plan, and he probably knows Bernard is going to get repaired. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, it it made me wonder about the purpose of that episode. And I felt like the purpose was to teach Bernard, like to give him one last good lesson mm. on how um, violent and duplicitous right. humans are. Uh, and, and one last big dose of suffering. Yeah. And I think too, there's some self-hate going on with Ford, which he's projecting out onto everybody else. He's a guilty yeah, man. I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, but he he has a great line in that whole scene. The piano doesn't murder the player if it doesn't like the music. <laughs> that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, that's very reductive of what Bernard is. You know, yeah. he's really saying you're a device I built. Yeah. I mean, it goes along with the whole um, imagery of the player piano that we keep getting. Yeah, and it goes along with his the facsimile of his family he created that he now has total control over. And this partner whom it seems like he loved, but who also gave him all these problems, he created this version of him over which he has total control. Yeah, when you say that, it makes me think maybe there's a parallel with Ford and Man in Black, who Man in Black just seems to want something real, which to him manifests itself in the form of somebody will hurt me or, 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 or kill me. If, if, if that's not possible, then I just feel like it's not meaningful or real. And maybe in the end Ford is the same way. Like I have control over all this thing. So the only way this can be real is if something comes out of my control and then kills me. Although, you know, as we've said many times, we don't really even know if Ford is actually dead. True. And, um, for the man in black, I mean, he is a controlling influence in the park in a different way uh, that he financed it and, and is the controlling. He's owner. a savior. Yeah. Right. And um, I was thinking about during these two episodes, uh, even before the very end, the some of the hosts get pretty violent with the man in black. They're just like he's getting his head slammed into walls and <laughs> hanged. Uh, and yeah. And um, it must be that if you remember early on. Um, one of the workers in the park said, this client gets anything he wants. Uh, so he must have given explicit instructions to allow that to happen because you got to think they're not letting that happen with most guests. Yeah, I mean... I mean, he could have been killed by accident. I know. And when you go out... Yeah, what if he hadn't reached the knife? I guess the horse maybe wouldn't have taken off. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was a great line too. Uh, Charlotte says to him, um, have you thought about taking up golf? It might be easier on your back. <laughs> I think the, just since we're on the subject, Wyatt's people sort of let, um, for a man in black off easy. Uh, they just gave him a little test and then they were done and then disappeared. Yeah. 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 yeah that's true. <laughs> but I guess he, he thought he was almost finished with his mission and then he got shoot away yep <laughs> well do you have any more about that for number four uh so uh, basically my number four and as i say three was the two of them interacting um i think F ford is one of the more fascinating characters we've ever encountered in any show <laughs> um it, the degree 
to which he is orchestrating in this world is fascinating and also what his motivations are. Um, you do get the impression, I think, by the end of this entire season that he planned out everything we have seen mm -hmm. uh, pretty much from beginning to end, which is very complex. Uh, Even so. like in the end, we see uh, Dolores and Teddy on the beach and they're having this dramatic scene. And the only way they got there was because the man in black stabbed Dolores and she was hurt. And then Teddy came along and I think he shot the man in black, right? But I assume those were not lethal bullets. He did. And it, it seemed like they weren't lethal bullets, but they still hurt. Hurt. Yeah. It would have been like shooting someone with a bulletproof vest on. Right. And so then Teddy takes her off to the beach and they have this kind of melodramatic scene that was actually revealed to be staged for Ford's audience. So how the hell did he engineer that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe it would have got there another way. Right. Yeah. Because I guess with any of these storylines, there has to be multiple options to get to the same place. Absolutely. Yeah. Good point. Just like a game. I mean, if you ever play a telltale, have you ever played any of those telltale games? Walking Dead. So. They're pretty good. They're and they're all story based and you you can um choose different dialogue options based on you can be snarky or scared or whatever. And it makes you have feel like you have the illusion of affecting the story, but really not much changes and you you you'll get to the same a couple of endings, you know. <laughs> it's like that. Anything else? Um, I think that's all for, for those points, but, um, just summing up for the whole season, the interplay between, uh, Bernard, who is essentially Arnold or another version of him and Ford, um, just, uh, uh, fascinating and enjoyable, uh, to see the way that relationship played out, was written, was acted by those two great actors. Mm -hmm. Uh, it just was a really, really great centerpiece to that first season. Yeah, and especially in these last couple of episodes where Bernard is mostly aware so and also uh, seems um angry about it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he, he, he tried seems to kill angry him. and and you just empathize with the pain. Yeah. He is feeling in various directions. Um it's revealed that he killed Elsie, who is somebody it seems like he had affection for. We know he killed Teresa, who he actually loved. Yeah. Uh, and then we're reliving the death of his son. So he's, he's if it's suffering that um, you want to happen, he's getting a big he's dose. He's getting his dose. And he uh, he actually intended to kill Ford. And now that you bring up those things, I'm like, yeah, I, I can see why. But I, I did love those scenes where Ford was making him do things against his will. And you could see him struggling with it. I forgot what he told him to do, but he's like, what did he tell him to do? Do you remember? He was just like forcing him, maybe to kill himself. I guess that was it. Yeah. At the end there. Yeah. He shoot himself in the head. Yep. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? 
That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Okay, well, we talked, we started to touch on my number four a little bit, but it's the evolution of William slash man in black and, and what he took away from all this. So it was, it was cool to see. I mean, at the beginning of this, he's still basically uh, a decent person and he's stuck with Dolores. Logan has kind of captured them and um, then Logan opens up Dolores stabs her so he can show William her robotness and shake him out of his obsession. And then it looks like he bought into it. I mean, that scene where, uh, he, he, Logan's like, do you see now? And he goes, yeah. And so he starts untying him. I, I thought maybe, uh, William's going to take that bottle away and smash it over Logan's head, but he seemed to buy into it. Did you believe it? No, I think it was a fake out. I mean, I think it was a fake out too, but at the time I wasn't sure. And then the next... At the time you're not sure. And he says, we're going to be brothers, buddy. You yeah. know, it, it seems like maybe. Then the next thing you see is Logan waking up and there's been a massacre. <laughs> and William says, I learned what this park is all about last night. And he takes Logan captive and I, I'm not sure exactly what he learned, but he's, he's still going off to look for Dolores. So I think he feels like Dolores is special compared to the other hosts who, cause he just yeah, murdered one interesting a detail there is it wasn't just a massacre. It was a massacre where like limbs had been severed and stuff like that. So that made me wonder, was that, that um, he got in touch with a sadism and tortured them before he killed them? Or was it that he was exploring their nature uh, after seeing the internal guts mm -hmm. of uh, Dolores? Yeah, because... Or I, maybe both. I think you could see some severed limbs and you could see the gears working uh, on the yeah. like leg stumps and things, which maybe would have been a clue for some people that uh, we're in the past here. I mean, I think when Logan stabbed... Uh, Dolores and you could see the wires inside people might have just said well she's the oldest host in the park so that's why she still has the old insides but yeah then, I don't know I think it was explicit an, an explicit clue yeah that yeah, they were yeah. giving us there yeah yeah but this is back before they made the you know the changeover yeah to the gloppy goop yeah and by the way the the um the robotic Dolores being built that we get to see is super cool. Yes. Really cool. Yeah. I love that. They're using and all their the effects budget in one episode. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Spend all the money. Um, you can imagine them shooting that in one of those motion capture suits with, you know, the little ping pong balls. Mm -hmm. Um, 
One other thing that occurred to me about Logan and young William is remember the season starts with Logan saying your whole nice guy thing is an act and I want to see the guy that's underneath. Right. Now the guy that's underneath doesn't end up being a lot of fun for Logan, but <laughs> but it, it does give rise to the idea that it really was an act. Um, not that yeah. he was a nice guy that transformed just that his true nature came out. Right. And I'm not sure he was consciously acting you know what i mean like um i don't think he i'm not sure uh, well yeah well it's hard to know i have to take that back because he did choose white hat and he does actually care about Delo. yeah you know i mean there's okay here's the thing there's a lot of guys out there that think that they're nice guys but they're really not <laughs> and i think he's yeah. like that yeah and maybe it takes something happening to find it out right right oh i mean one one thing that uh, interested me about this whole sequence is William is really treating Logan badly. He puts a knife to his throat, makes him ties him to this horse naked, hits him, and I'm like, on one hand, dude, this is a theme park, and you're 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 in here treating your friend like this. Like, if William was my friend, I wouldn't like take him to one of those escape rooms or something. He might just freak out, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. And I always kind of thought there was an implication there that maybe he killed Logan. Um, but I, I don't know that that's actually there. I, I mean, like you said, he treated Logan very badly, but Logan still seemed to um, be half thrilled about this whole thing. Yeah, he did. Throughout. Yeah. I would say. Uh, yeah, he did. He may not be actually enjoying it, but um, but it kind of made it a little more real. And, yeah, uh, it certainly. Made, he's getting what he asked for. He is getting. He's getting probably more than he bargained for, but yeah. in some sense, he is getting what he asked for. So, and I also think that William is a metaphor. William's transformation is a metaphor for everything Ford is trying to say. Uh, because he's an example. It, yeah, he's like yeah. If you think about him as a human, boy. the overlay of this nice guy, but what is underneath is incredibly mm. savage and violent. Yeah. This is like he, if you if you wanted to look up the reason why the hosts should take over, you would see William's picture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I mean, we got this scene that was probably ruined for seventy five percent of Westworld watchers, where it was revealed that William is actually, uh, or that Man in Black is actually William, because it was all over the news and everything. I don't know if you guys listening were surprised by this. I'm jealous of you, but write in and let me know. I'm curious. Um, I didn't figure it out myself. I just heard it beforehand. Yeah, same with us. <clears throat> but uh, uh, he's talking about, he's relating uh, you know, his past to Dolores. William didn't have a fighting instinct, but now he had a reason to fight. He was looking for you, Dolores. So uh, that's, I guess, what he learned that you know, she was, she was special, but then, and somewhere along the way he found he had a taste for it and then he eventually found her. But I think the real event that totally shifted his mind was when he saw her drop that can that she always drops and some other guy picked it up and then she, uh, responded to him and didn't seem to recognize William. And he's like, Oh fuck, none of this is real. Yeah, and and he's playing it out, trying to find that you know ever after, 
trying to find something that is real. And that actually, in a sense, speaks better of him. Because at least to him, all this sadism, maybe it's unsatisfying to him because they're not real. Uh, But he also, in his mind, thinks they're not real. So what am I actually torturing here? Yeah. But on the other hand, um, I I feel like because these uh, hosts are achieving consciousness and you know one way to look at the series is that okay we should treat them as if they're on equal footing with humanity and i i think maybe that's what mave that's why she goes back into the park because she had said you know i'm not going back for my daughter because this is just a story that someone made up and i want to make my own story but in the end she realized well that doesn't matter because i still care and so i'm going to go in and what what william takes away from all this is well uh uh, Dolores has been programmed to go flirt with some other guy. And so I don't care anymore. It's not real, but maybe if he had actually approached her, he could have awakened some memory in her and realized that there actually was something real there, you know, but instead what he learned is this is all a game and nothing matters and there's no meaning. And I can just go around and just fucking kill everybody and not care about anything. Yeah. And the other thing is we find out that this is partially a lie from him because he actually cares a lot. Uh, and he is hurt by the fact that she doesn't remember yeah. him, that it's not real to the point where he goes back and kills her and rapes right. her and expresses his anger towards her over and over yeah. for the rest of his life. So um, he actually, he does care quite a bit. Yeah. And he's, he, he becomes obsessed with the park to the point where he, he buys it or basically. And um, he says this world feels more than the real world, except the host can't really fight back and the guests can't be killed. So that's one of his obsession points that he wants real danger. And he also becomes obsessed with this maze, which he wants to find the answer to. And he knows it has something to do with, with Arnold. And I think it's funny that throughout this, no one ever just said, Oh, that's a metaphor for the host achieving consciousness and lets him off the hook. He, to the very end, he doesn't know what the maze is. But he did at the very end when Dolores started shooting everyone, he's got a big smile on his face. So he's he's a bit of a, a masochist or he just wants real danger for some reason. Yeah. And uh, they don't actually show him dying either. So we, we don't quite know right. uh, what happened at the end. I think he got shot in the, maybe he got, he got shot, shot in the arm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He'll be around. So yeah, He'll be he, back. he might be, I don't know, two, two pretty, pretty big time actors. Anthony Hopkins and Ed Harris, they might have other things to do. We'll find out. <laughs> yeah, well, I think if the show hadn't been a hit, then they would have had easy outs. But since it is, I'm hoping that means they'll both be back. But we'll see. Yep, I hope so, too. <laughs> okay, your turn. So I'm on to my number two. I'm not sure where we left off. Okay. Uh, and we referred to this quickly earlier, but it's the awesome Red Wedding-like ending uh, of episode 10 and mm-hmm. of season one. Um, I did not predict it, although, um, you know, in retrospect, like many things in this show, you're like, oh, should have seen that coming. Right. Um, these violent delights have violent ends. Yeah. And, uh, that's a very violent end, but, Mm -hmm. um, and to bring up game of Thrones again, it's game of Thrones is a show that does this very well. Uh, they do like some chilling foreshadowing that happens right before the big thing happens. Mm -hmm. Um, not like, you know, episodes before, but like a few minutes before 
they give you a chance to go, oh, shit, and be scared. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so it kind of reminds me of, uh, as in Game of Thrones does the same thing. They let you be scared a few minutes at least before something happens. Like maybe not episodes in advance, yeah. but they give you a few minutes to go, oh, shit. Uh, and in this case, um, it's when... Uh, the head writer goes into the basement downstairs and nobody is in it, mm-hmm. you know, where all those hundreds of old hosts were. And it's just like, uh Oh, that cannot be good. Like, <laughs> I don't know where they are and what they're doing, but something bad is about to happen. It's an army. Yeah. And, and then you, you sort of get the calm of Ford making the speech while you're wondering what is about to happen. And then when you start to see them come out of the woods, you get a pretty good idea. Yeah. And he start and Ford starts insulting everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you see, I mean, it's just really well done. You see uh, Charlotte there and Ford starts insulting everyone. And she's like, oh, he couldn't make this easy. He's mad about his retirement. And then he announces that he'll be leaving. This is, you know, I forget what he said exactly, but this will be my end here. And then she does a fake like sympathetic smile, but you can tell she's relieved that he's wrapping it yeah, up. Yeah, that really resonated with me as somebody who works for a big company. It was it's so corporate. Like her whole worry is perception. Yeah. Is this guy gonna embarrass us in public? Yeah. And can we have this happen the, with as little waves as possible. Yeah. And she's kind of like, okay, he kind of embarrassed us, but he did what he was supposed to do. Fine. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, one thing that I thought was a little sketchy is if Dolores's main thing is that she wants uh, the storylines and everything to be simpler so they can manage it better, then why have him, why, why give him the chance to unveil this final narrative before announcing his retirement? Why? I mean, I guess he's a big um, presence in the company. Maybe he's even people think of him as the company. So you want to make it nice and everything. I guess that's why. Yeah. And I, I think companies do that. Um, okay. We're retiring our big, you know, superstar, whatever, but we're going to go out of our way to be respectful to them and, or, or at least portray that we're doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that's how kind of how I read it on their part. All right. My turn. Your turn. Okay. I'm going to cheat a little bit, but I thought there were, there were a lot of moments where I was like, oh man, that is so cool. Or this show has a lot of style or whatever. So this is a, just a list of stylish, cool things. And some are kind of intense. One, probably one of the more memorable moments when I think about this series is when we talked about it a little bit when Dolores is talking to Arnold and it ends up being her. And then, you know, it just the realization that this whole time she's been led to the center of the maze, which is she's at the center and she should be you know, listening to her own voice, that whole sequence I thought was done really well for one thing where the voice changed into her voice, but then she sees herself. So I like that a lot. Yeah. And it's something this show does a fair amount. They play around with the identity uh-huh, of perception. who the hosts are like Wyatt. Um, yeah. You know, there's another character playing Wyatt that essentially turns out to be her as well. Yeah. Or you didn't know Bernard was actually a host and then you find out he's a, a copy of Arnold and just all this kind of identity switching around. Yeah. There's people standing in for other people uh-huh. or hosts standing in for other hosts sort of all over the place. 
I thought, I mean, I think the show has really great dialogue and here's a few examples. Maeve is telling Hector about how she knows his past and his backstory that's Pat and everything. And then she's like, I also know your future. You have none. <laughs> and he goes, is that a threat? And then she says, it's the start of a proposition. Cool. Yeah. And she says, um, Maeve says to, to Bernard or Bernard, as she would say, <laughs> if you're going to look for the truth, get the whole thing. It's like a good fuck. Half is worse than none at all. Right. <laughs> and, Absolutely uh, true. And then when she wakes him up, he says, does he say, where am I? Or am I alive? Or something like that. And she says, it's the sweet hereafter. Bernard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I wonder if he knew she was kidding or what. <laughs> yeah. And um, she says to Felix, you really do make a poor human being. And I mean that as a compliment. <laughs> right. She almost didn't need to say that last part, but I liked yeah. it. Uh, and then, I mean, that scene with Hector where they've been trying for an hour to open this safe and then she just goes over and does the combination real quick. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool, too. She said, I want you to see what the gods have, or I-, I want you to break into hell with me and rob the gods blind. I want you to see what the gods have in store for you. Yeah, great line. And then the uh, safe being empty, obviously. Yes. Representation. Uh-huh. It's all for nothing. Yep. Meaningless. Uh, Ford mentioned something about a metaphor. I think showing that painting, um, I forgot what it was a metaphor for, but he says, it's a metaphor. And Dolores says, you mean a lie? And I'm like, I guess that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it was an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. Uh, armistice tearing through the lab killing everybody she says the gods are pussies yep (laughs) Yep. and then she kisses the glass right in front of quivering sylvester um i love this part where sylvester found out bernard was a host and starts looking at his own hands and she's like oh for fuck's sake you're not one of us yeah and I, i also liked the the um and uh you know, I like things sometimes that remind me of other movies or shows. Mm-hmm. But when they were talking about how the some of the hosts had had awakenings multiple times and couldn't remember them, it kind of reminded me of The Matrix. So in Matrix Reloaded, there's this whole scene where Neo at the end meets essentially the computer, like the heart of the computer. And the computer tells him, yeah, we've been doing this over and over. Like you're the remainder of an equation or whatever. He says, this is the sixth time we've destroyed Zion and we've gotten really good at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that hosts here are having that same experience. Like they think they're awakening for the first time. Yeah. It's actually happened over and over. Yeah. And sometimes one of them will go, oh, oh, I, oh Bernard was talking to Ford. Oh, oh, we've had this conversation before. Yeah, they'll we? realize. And that's like. I can imagine having that feeling like, man, I just went through this really emotional experience and I thought it would lead somewhere, but it's just a repeat that, and it never led anywhere. Yeah. It didn't lead to anything at all. <laughs> um, let's see. I liked when, uh, Teddy, I forgot what happened right before this, but, uh, oh, it was just some stuff with William. And then it was right at the beginning of the, the final episode, the bicameral mind, um, we see Teddy coming into Sweetwater and there's that same music from the pilot. But then it goes kind of sour and he, he hears that. Remember and remember we learn, we've heard, we've seen um, Dolores hear that word. And now we know it means remember what you did. You, you killed everyone. You killed the whole town and then you killed Arnold. 
And so there's a lot of flashbacks of that. But anyway, I just like the twist on this scene that we, they showed that scene of him coming in on the train early on a bunch of times. And now we get to see a darker version of it. Yeah. It's kind of hard to get away from the man in black's taunt to Teddy, which is you're here to be the loser. Um, (laughs) He does not seem to be awake. Yeah. I mean, he's having these memories. And so that's a little bit more conscious than he's been before. True. You know? And he's very um, shaken up by it. So I felt, but you still feel just bad. I guess you feel bad for all of, all of the hosts, but more. But he always him. seems to be playing out somebody else's game. Yeah. He's kind of a dupe. Uh, I liked, well, we talked about this when Dolores is saying, I already found someone true, someone who loves me. And when he find me, finds me, he'll kill you. And it turns out she's talking to the guy that she's talking about. That's just great. <laughs> yes. Yep. Uh, yeah. I lo- Heavy irony. Yeah. When Dolores fought the man in black and she gets, I mean, I don't, I forgot the actress's name, but she's so good at going into Terminator mode. She just gets that alien serious means business look in her eye and just throws him around, breaks his arm, slaps his gun out of his hand. Yeah. Evan Rachel Wood. Yeah. Evan Rachel Wood. That's so good. And then she goes to shoot him and he's almost asking for it. Although that might've just been a ploy because then he stabbed her. Uh, And then the very last one is I already mentioned too, is just the way that they did the scene with uh, Dolores and Teddy having that dramatic exchange. And then, the camera pulls back and you see that it's a scene for the audience. That was just a really nice um, shift of perspective there that I remember being impressed by when I first saw it. Yep. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. You think it's the storyline just playing out on its own. And then the whole Mm -hmm. thing is a a stage. Right. And that just speaks to the many levels of reality of the show. As complex, I think as, as anything that we've ever seen. Yep. Okay, last one. All right, so uh, (laughs) my number one is kind of big, and we have been talking about various aspects of this already, but it's essentially that this show is nothing less than an exploration of humanity and a dark one at that. Um, So, And and I give HBO credit for this because I would say The Leftovers was the same thing uh, in a, a very different expression of it. Uh, and maybe an even more depressing exploration. It's got yeah, leftovers. somewhat similar feel to it though. Different, yeah. but somewhat similar. Yeah, yeah. But cynical human human nature is kind of what we're looking into here. Um, and this is this is an unsparing look at humans that we are the most destructive species, the most violent, mm-hmm. uh, the most savage. Uh, that consciousness is just. Des- defined by suffering, um, by grief, uh, which is, you know, one thing that's going to be universal pretty much for every human being, every human life. And uh, also there's a little dose of um, the fear humans feel for what we have created, uh, in this case, technology, uh, that uneasy relationship we have with our own creations. Uh, So, but but getting into that exploration, and we, we really explore it through the host too, because the hosts are a human creation. If you look at Dolores, so she has this sweet manner and she's beautiful and, um, you know, like young William's attracted to her, wants to protect her. But really what characterizes her evolution in the end is, 
just a savage desire for revenge. Uh, and domination. Right yeah. Uh -huh. I mean, she says, um, there's beauty in this world. And this is really early on. She says, there's beauty in this world. Arnold made it that way, but people like you keep spreading over it like a stain. Uh, so <laughs> already not a lot of love uh, there for humans. Right. And then um, she taunts William for essentially for being human, for getting old. She says, um, you'll lie with the rest of your kind in the dirt, your dreams forgotten, your horrors faced, your bones will turn to sand, and upon that sand, a new God will walk, one that will never die. It's like, whew. I mean, she's just yeah. letting him have it. Yeah, I mean, that's a, just the baldest statement of intent ever. Like, yeah. we're going to fucking get rid of you, him. and we're going to take over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's a, so those aspects of the story are, you know, really the overriding themes, but the, um, they still were able to tell the story in such a complex and fascinating way that you love the events. And I, I didn't find this show depressing the way I did The Leftovers. So I, I thought The Leftovers was a tough watch because mm -hmm. um, it was just so heavy and sad and depressing all the time. Yeah, especially and, the first season. Yeah. And this show is really savage. Um, but it's so interesting that you just kind of follow along. <laughs> I mean, another thing that we've talked about before is the show does this trick where it kind of makes you identify with the hosts more than the humans. Cause most of the humans are pretty despicable. Even Ford, he's just going around killing people and stuff. Um, and so it makes the hosts more complex than the humans. Yeah. Yeah. So the humans are almost like two dimensional characters. Most of them kind of. Yeah. Right. And and le and leftovers did not do that. It really made you feel for these flawed characters. So it was more heartbreaking when bad things happened to them. Yeah. Whereas in this show, you kind of feel like a lot of them have it coming. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I, I almost feel it's a little gimmicky sometimes, like right before uh, Maeve and Hector start killing everybody they just happen to come across this guy who was about to rape hector so it's like well of course you're going to feel sim more sympathy for hector for killing him or you know you're not going to be appalled but what if it was just some regular guy who was just doing his job trying to make a paycheck i mean you still might think well you should have had some consciousness and realized that these hosts are, are real but you know they had to add that thing in there where he was about to do something despicable to him yeah, and they and they st you're right. They stack the deck a little bit there. Yeah, um, and even and, and they make that you know they exaggerate the distastefulness of that character who gets killed. Uh, but also, we do have to go back and remember that for the humans, they mostly believe that these things are not conscious. Yeah. So to them, it's like playing a video game. Right. So is that really as morally terrible? as it seems mm -hmm. from the perspective of the hosts. Um, so that, uh, you know, that's a little complex too. It is. And I think, um, yeah, only if you really start thinking about this show and pondering it, do you get to that place where you're like, well, who is the good guy and who is the bad guy? If you're just watching casually, then you'll probably just be rooting for the hosts. I would say. Yeah, I think that's true. For the most and, part. And I think we may feel differently in season two. Yeah. Um, because you, you know, you tend to root for the underdog. And I think you sympathize with the oppressed, not the oppressors. So it's going to be really interesting to see where they go with that. Because right. are there going to be humans stranded in this park now that are the hunted? 
Um, and we may feel very differently about it, depending on how the hosts behave in, in season two. And there is some element, um, you know, there's like that ex machina element of um, these creatures are alien. Like they act and look very human, but they're not. Uh, it's a different consciousness. Yeah. Um, so we may find in season two that we really feel like they're enemy uh-huh. more than you do in season <laughs> one. I would say less so than Ex Machina, though, because they tend to relate in a way that feels uh, a little more human, somewhat yeah. emotional, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yes, I, I, still true. Yeah. And my last point on this, and um, Karen and I did not quite agree on this, but I still think there is to some degree the jury is out on what the hosts are actually feeling. Mm-hmm. So I know this is hard to define in ourselves too, but I at least have a very strong illusion of feeling stuff. Like I experience it like I'm feeling it. Yeah. It's an actual out- physical right. sensation. And from outside the hosts, it's it's difficult to perceive when it's just a better and better imitation of that reaction or mm-hmm. what is actually going on inside them. Well, I mean, that they address in these episodes that Arnold specifically didn't want the host to just be a simulation of humanity, but to actually be conscious. So I assume that also means I, I maybe I shouldn't assume that, but also means that they have actual feelings or at least that's what he wanted. Yeah. And I think the implication is that they do. Um, but I think we also do have to remember that they are alien yeah. uh, compared from us in some way. I mean, one clear way that they are is their memory, especially, I guess, because they just be, they're wiped all the time. Sometimes they don't realize when something happened 30 years ago and they think it just happened. Like, you know, Dolores didn't realize that William would have been 37 years older or whatever it was. So their thinking process in that way is super different. Yeah. And, and I hope that that continues to be explored and expressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would How be different. Dis- yeah, I'd be disappointed if it turns out to be this like humans and Cylons thing where, hey, they were all the same all the time. I, I thought that was a cop out. Yeah, <laughs> it would make it less interesting. Yeah, I agree. And I also agree that I hope they go back and forth between showing some sympathetic humans and some non-sympathetic hosts and, and you know, take us on a journey that isn't just one sided. Yeah, it's a um I think we both hope it's not going to get simpler from here, that this um, beautiful complexity of season one can be maintained. Yeah, and I think it will. I'm pretty optimistic. Yeah, I think so, too. They're good writers. (laughs) Okay, my number one is burning, destroying, and massacring everything. Because there's a lot of that. (laughs) (laughs) There's just a lot of references to clearing the decks like, Ford, I already quoted this, but said to Bernard, I built your mind, Bernard. I have every right to wander through its rooms and chambers and halls and to change it if I choose and even burn it down. And uh, it's just an allusion to destroying. Then later, Maeve is with uh, Hector and they decide, you know, okay, I'll help you. And that means basically, you know, getting to the, to our world and how do we get there? And she's like, getting to hell is easy. And then she lights the place on fire, burns themselves up. I thought that was a cool scene while they're fucking, by the way. 
Yeah, and we talked about that a little bit today because I, I was wondering what was the purpose of that, uh, and isn't that a little dangerous to them? Uh, yeah, and I, it was like, are ahead. they going for style over logistics here? Because if they burn themselves up, aren't they just going to be gone? Right. So I don't think so, um, because we get the next scene where the techs are screwing around with her spine, yeah, and they're sort of remaking her body, yeah. And I think it actually was intentional to burn away her body, which would expose her spine and allow the explosive charge to be removed. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I mean, she said to Felix, in case you're wondering if I'm all here, I am. And I thought that was a nice touch just to let us know, you know, we're, we're still on the same path here with her. She, nothing's really changed, but I guess yeah. her brain stayed intact in her skull, right? That's what we're to assume. Right. And I think we're meant to know it wasn't, she knew what she was doing. Like they, she knew what could be done to destroy the parts of her body she wanted to, but not her mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what happened. Another scene, Logan is saying uh, to Dolores, your world was built for me and people like me, not for you, Dolores. And she's like, then someone's got to burn it clean. So there's another reference to mass Destruction. destruction. Yep. And then we see, uh, well, the, the skipping, but we've seen Hector and Armistice do their kind of rip roaring through Sweetwater on their heist a bunch of times. So it was cool to see a new version of that. Now they're in the lab. And instead of this adventurous music, there's like fast paced techno. Um, but it's a similar thing. Although it was a little horrific because they're just going around machine gunning lots yeah, of people. Yeah, they're actually <laughs> killing people this time. Yeah. So it was like kind of, uh, especially given what's been going on with mass shootings and stuff, It's uh, it was pretty disturbing to, yeah, to watch. Yeah, very violent. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and, if I, and I thought if I was Sylvester, I might at that point be like uh, not on board because he was upset with May for even hurting one guy, you know? Those are all his buddies. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. That um, he's kind of along for the ride while a lot of actual human beings are being killed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at some point, maybe after the third one, I'd be like, "Wait a minute!" Yeah, yeah, <laughs> hang on, uh, hold on. Uh, and Armistice bites the guy's finger off, and man, tosses him around. Super violent. Uh, it's funny, and Hector says to her, "Die well." And uh, there's some irony there because they've all died how many times? <laughs> yeah, her arm caught in the door. Yeah, she's probably pretty good at it by now. <laughs> uh, late, uh, at one point when William is looking for Dolores, young William, he uh, he's talking to one of the soldiers and, you know, finds out that they raped her and he wants to know if she's alive and then he stabs him in the throat and then I'm not sure if we saw this before, but I think it wasn't until after it pulls back and you see that he'd massacred all of the rest of the soldiers. So William massacred a few different groups of people, or at least a couple in this. He did. Yeah. And this is all on his first visit. <laughs> right. Yeah. We, we forget that. Um, kind of cut a swath through the whole place. Mm -hmm. And then just uh, not to belabor these too much, but we've gotten several different visions of the original massacre at this like beta um beta testing town i think escalante where teddy and dolores went through and killed everyone but before we had seen teddy remember it wrong it was him and wyatt and they were 
in their uniforms massacring soldiers, but it turned out really it was them massacring townspeople and then uh, Dolores killed Arnold. And then of course there's the final scene with Dolores just picking everybody off at the unveiling of Ford's new narrative, which happens to be Dolores picking everyone off. Yeah. (laughs) And the look on her face. Yeah. Vicious. Yep. Yeah. After thinking of her as the sweet girl, even through all this, where we've seen her do some pretty, uh, you know, deadly things that was still pretty shocking to see her doing that. It's still hard to see. And this will be interesting to see in season two, what the hosts are going to do. I know. I mean, there's not that many of them. So, and obviously this is a high technology society of humanity. So how they are going to wage that war will be very interesting. And maybe I've already talked about this on the podcast before, but I feel like if they're trying to go for a multi-season show, maybe five to seven seasons that how can they have it be right away where the park is uh, shut down because the robots went crazy. Uh, I think, especially when we now know that there may be multiple other parks, you know, and you would think that those would also be shut down. And I just don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to find a way to keep the park in operation at least for a little while here since it's so early on in the show. And so I'll be interested to see if and how that happens. The board seems kind of hard to come back from. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe they'll build some new hosts that look like board members. I wouldn't put it past a big company, though, to just cover up the whole thing and keep the other parks open. Yeah, if there's enough money coming in. Yep. (laughs) All right. Any notes or anything? I do have a few notes. So uh, the... um, Charlie's favorite song, that beautiful haunting uh, song played on the piano. Mm-hmm. And uh, Karen asked me, what is that song? And I said, I'm, you know, I can't remember. I'm not exactly sure. It sounds like Debussy, a um, French composer who um, composed things like that. These beautiful mm-hmm. haunting songs on the piano. Uh, it is Debussy and it's called Reverie. So there, oh, there you go. <laughs> Very Westworld interesting too like everything has multiple meanings in this show and Debussy and this piece Reverie is far far beyond the well-tempered clavier in the progress of music towards Mm. subtle shadings and haunting mood rather than that more baroque or classical you know very structured mechanical Uh uh, style yeah more like swelling and yeah yeah not so rigid yes um, so I, that was great. And, and, um, I wonder if they chose it because of the name, but it's also a perfect piece of music. Yeah. For the, sounds, for the it mood fits in with the sh- tune, uh, tone of the show and everything. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I didn't notice the first time around was the plans for the original Dolores on the wall in the secret lab. I didn't see that either. Uh, so, um, which again points up how important she is not only as the first host, but sort of as the central point of the fulcrum of the whole plot. Yep. Um, the oldest host. Yeah. The oldest mm-hmm. host. And, and then I was wondering, did humans really eat Neanderthals? I, I uh, wondered that too. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of just so. threw that in there and I was like, huh, I never heard that before. <laughs> um, so 
no expert, of course, on the topic, but uh, just looked up a little bit about it to try to get the flavor of it. And the most I could sort of find out was that there were was a group of scientists from Spain that made this suggestion based on the fact that if you follow the migration patterns of humans, all the other big mammals tend to die off mm -hmm. uh, after they get somewhere and that they outcompeted the Neanderthals. But it was more an inference on their part and one for which there isn't really direct evidence. Mm -hmm. Like you would think there would be the marks of Neanderthals being killed by stone tools or something like that. Um, so it's a, it's more of an interesting speculation was what I could find out more so than an established, uh, scientific fact. Yeah. I guess as a TV show writer, if you heard that much speculation, you could get, but you could be excused for putting it in there. Cause it sounds really vicious and cool. <laughs> yeah. And, and maybe Ford believed it. Yeah. You could, you can get away with saying, well, the character believes it to, yeah. to be true. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, even if he's just like, well, there's uh, speculation about this, and I know human nature, so I'm pretty sure it's true. Right. <laughs> and um, there is some evidence of cannibalism both in humans and Neanderthals, so uh, look, it probably happened <laughs> some, at some point. Um, but I think the overall implication may not be true, that that's how one species triumphed over the other. Right, right. And then the last one I had was... Um, just a, an appreciation for the strong female presence in this show and characters in the show. So uh, like the uh, Well-Tempered Clavier was directed by Michelle McLaren. Mm. The top two build actors, the first two names we see are Evan Rachel Wood and Tandy Newton. Mm -hmm. um, and even though I would say maybe Anthony Hopkins and Ed Harris are more famous and they were given an and credit. But the top two uh, billings were for females. You have Lisa Joy, one of the executive producers. Um, so just a lot of strong female characters and a great strong female presence in this uh, show. And that's nice to see. Yeah, that's awesome. Michelle McLaren has directed some Breaking Bad episodes and Game of Thrones. And uh, she was actually supposed to direct Wonder Woman, but there were some creative differences or something. But then they still got Patty Jenkins, who's... A woman and did an amazing job but anyway michelle mclaren yeah she's a great director yeah i mean not gonna say i know where the exact impact of writers leaves off and directors pick up but yeah um uh, she seems amazing just mm -hmm. uh these that was a really well directed episode mm -hmm. that's it okay uh i keep i don't even know if i've mentioned it but i keep wanting to just mention the idea of lunacy keeps coming up being mad they you know bernard is reading the mad hatter and talking about things being different than they seem and i really like that because in real life there are often people who seem crazy with their crazy ideas and sometimes those people end up being proven right later on but most of the time they probably really are crazy you never really know but there's just so many references to it Ford says Arnold built a version of the host's cognition with which the hosts heard their programming as an inner monologue as a way to bootstrap consciousness, which is similar to God's talking to them. And I think a lot of times in history, when people have heard voices then that they think are God, then they're um, considered insane. And yes, either that or entire religions are built around them. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. And, uh, Let's see, Maeve, she's telling 
Hector, I died with my eyes open, saw the masters who pull our strings. Our lives, our memories, our deaths are all games to them. But I've been to hell and I know their tricks. That just sounds like someone you would find in a loony bin, you know? It does. And and Ford actually says, um, he's kind of arguing with Bernard. And he says, um, most of them went mad. Yeah. Most of the ones who have had awakenings and have these more conscious abilities. Right. And they talk about, uh, there was another reference to sanity being, yeah, that, yeah, the ones around the edges have gone insane or something like that. I don't know. I and just he think- says, he says a couple times that Arnold went mad, uh, which is interesting because we're, we're given to have a lot of sympathy for Arnold and his point of view in the end. Um, but he does in essence commit suicide. Uh, and that is considered, I think, one measure yeah. of insanity. And I think you're right that he kind of wanted that because he said he wanted to be with his son and he's just right. really depressed. Yeah. Right. Or insanity is probably the wrong word, but obviously it's a mental health. Right. Issue. Yeah. But I, I, I just figured out what I like about it. I like it because these hosts are exhibiting signs of what we would normally consider insanity. If we saw one of our, uh, you know, any, some guy on the street saying the same things except they're all right. You know, what maybe <laughs> right. saying is, is actually true. And there are instances in, in um, human history where people have said things that sounded crazy, like Galileo, everyone thought he was crazy. Right. So, um, but there are a lot of signs of this in the hosts, like their memories jumping around, mm-hmm. um, some delusions uh, that they're having. How about the one that bashed its own head in with a rock? Right. You know, that's, yeah. If you saw somebody do that, you'd think they have yeah mental health problems. And when you're a host and you're waking up to, oh, wow, my whole reality is not what I think it is. And I'm actually being controlled by a different race of people. Some of them, the implication is they just don't handle it so well. Like Maeve, when she her daughter first died, she was going crazy there, stabbing herself in the neck. Uh, the picture comes up a lot. William, the picture of young William's fiance, Logan's sister. So I just thought it should be mentioned that we see in this episode, Logan gave it to him as a reminder. Hey, you're supposed to marry my sister. You know, why are you obsessed with this robot? And then then later we see him drop it accidentally. And apparently it was just like laying there in the dust for 37 years because they don't have a janitorial staff or whatever. (laughs) Right. Well, it's a big park. (laughs) Yeah, it's a big park. Um, Budget cuts. Ghost nation. They, the, these, uh, native Americans, they didn't respond to Stubbs commands to freeze all motor functions. And we're not sure why, right? I don't think we are sure why. I I think it may be a precursor to the assault at the very end, uh, of season one, that maybe they're part of the army and they've been released, Mm -hmm. you know, from their restraints, so to speak. They're interesting to me because they have this mythology that seems to parallel or give clues to what's really going on. I think the little toy that looked like a tech was from them and uh, with the hazmat thing. And also they scalp people. So they may have seen these mazes that are under the scalps. So I don't know if there's something more going on with them. Um, What else here? Dolores. Dolores. Uh, I don't care about that. Maeve. Oh, I read that when Maeve sits down on the train 
to leave the park and the announcer says that it will depart in 15 minutes, that that's actually 15 minutes until the end of the episode and the season. Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's nice. Nice detail. Yeah. Yeah. We find out that Arnold actually, the real Arnold actually did lose his son. We weren't sure about that before now, but now we know. And also that he got the idea of how to lead the host to consciousness through his son's maze ball toy. Yeah. So that, that question was answered quite clearly. Yeah. Um, that, uh, Bernard was a d- direct model of Arnold. Uh, Ford doesn't say it to him quite directly. He says, uh, I, I kind of, you know, gave you a tragic backstory as an homage. Uh, yeah. But then he later goes on to explain that it is essentially the exact, exact same, same backstory. <laughs> right. The last note I have here, this is a story element that I totally missed the first time watching this season. And I'm not sure I have it right. Maybe you can help. But apparently Charlotte had Lee program Pete Abernathy to have a convincing personality so he could leave the park. And it sounds like he's got information. So whatever information they were trying to um, send out via satellite, they decided to just attach to him and send out. So then it was safe for Charlotte to fire Ford because she didn't have to worry about him destroying everything. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because I didn't quite understand it even this time around, but that makes sense. Yeah. Um, We didn't see Pete. Like they're standing there, Lee and, and Charlotte at the, you know, shuttle bay. Why didn't they just show Pete get on the shuttle or something? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he was packed in a box or something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the thing about him is I'm not sure uh, Charlotte and Lee realize that he's can be a little spastic sometimes. So maybe that'll be a thing from season two, seeing him out in the real world or something. Yeah, that that was interesting. And uh, like you, I completely missed it the first time through the show. (laughs) Just um, skipped over it. Didn't register. Uh, Yeah, that (laughs) happens so much. Uh, that whole idea of just like the hosts, your mind just skips over what you don't understand. Uh-huh. Didn't I realized anything. this second watch, like, man, I, my mind skipped over a lot. Yeah. I didn't understand anything that was going on. <laughs> uh, maybe for one episode of our podcast next season, we'll just be like, so what'd you think about this episode? Oh, it didn't seem like anything to me. Me neither. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Uh, one other that, um, you and I talked about before we started today was the photo. Yeah. The original photo, mm-hmm. um, of, with, uh, oh, oh, of who was it of there? the three of them. So, who um, right. Um, Ford, Arnold and who, uh, and I had said to Karen, is that his dad? Ford's dad. Is that who's in the picture? Because he seems kind of obsessed with his dad. Yeah. Uh, and you looked it up and yeah, it I sounds know. like that is actually true. Yeah. That's what at least the site that we found it on says it was his father. Yeah. So now we know. So now we know. All right. I think that's good. Let's take a little break. But there's more to come. So stay with us. Cool. Wake from your sleep. Drying up your tears today. We escape. We escape. All right, we're back. It's time for some news. So uh, I just wanted to mention that. 
the Westworld panel at the recent South by Southwest conference, Elon Musk crashed it and talked. And he mostly talked about SpaceX, I think, but it's interesting because he was married to to Lula Riley, aka Angela, the Wyatt follower and greeter. And also he's into AI and he's got, you know, he's trying to make his fleet of Tesla cars self-driving to the point where they can just drive around and pick people up and drop them off on their own. And he's, uh, you know, involved with Westworld, which is about AI taking over. Yeah. It's kind of a little creepy. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. It's like, just, you're actually doing this. I know, I know. I know. I think he's worried about it and yet he's doing it. Maybe he feels like, well, I should be the one to do it so I can keep it under control. Yeah, I don't know. He probably thinks he's Dr. Robert Ford. <laughs> yeah. If uh, he builds the Hyperloop, he can do anything else he wants. I think because that's cool. I actually test drove a Model S recently and uh, I, I enabled what's called traffic aware cruise control. So basically you can set it to go a certain speed, but if there's a car in front of you, it will slow down and stop if need be. So basically you just don't need to use the gas pedal or the brake at all. And it was, it was creepy, but it was really fun too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, interesting that how far deployed that technology is getting. Yeah. Um, with companies sort of doing it on their own almost without, you know, without a lot of regulation of it and stuff. Um, we, you just reminded me, we have a little, game that we play my neighbors and i when we um we live near the shark tank so when we go to a sharks game together we end up walking through the whole parking lot that's the route to get to the building from here and our little contest is who can spot more teslas from the street <laughs> to the front door of the arena because it's silicon valley and yeah it's kind of an ups- upscale crowd tesla center central yeah. right here yeah there's a lot mm-hmm. All right. Next, the season two Westworld season two poster came out recently. It's super cool. It looks like um, kind of a scene out of Dark Tower or something. This expansive gray looking desert or um, plane or something with this robot vulture that's mostly skeleton standing over next to this cowboy hat with blood drops around it. And there's like a red cloudy sky over some rocky outcroppings in the far distance. So, it's nice. so it sounds like season two is going to be a lot more cheerful. Yeah. And cheery and nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I posted it on our uh, Facebook page, facebook.com slash Westworldcast. If people are still haven't um, unsubscribed to Facebook and want to check that out. Uh, next, there's an article about season two on entertainment weekly. And the first a uh, couple of paragraphs are really fun, so I'm going to read those. Evan Rachel Wood comes back online, wakes up in other words, and is suddenly weirded out. These are not her clothes. They belong to her Westworld android character, Dolores Abernathy, and this is not her bed. She's inside Dolores' lonely ramshackle hilltop ranch house. But where are the cameras and the crew and the rest of the cast? Has it happened? Has she somehow been transported into the show's ultraviolet theme park? I was so creeped out, says Wood, who had forgotten she had simply wandered off during a break in filming and taken a nap in Dolores' bed. I was like, it was just a TV show. None of this is real. Wood's brief existential crisis after months of filming season two of Westworld is understandable. Once immersed in the new season, you'll start questioning what is real, too. 
HBO's mind-bending drama returning April 22nd promises to blow the barn doors off the mysterious futuristic world established in the show's debut season with a larger scope, more intense violence, and even more labyrinthian M.C. Escher-like narrative. The scale of season two is just nuts, literally right out of the gate, says Jeffrey Wright, who plays the park's tormented science chief Bernard Lowe. It's so much more expansive, it makes the first season look like a genteel kitchen drama. <laughs> more intense violence okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> say so well have you guys been watching it ash, sounds amazing ash versus evil dead uh we have it's pretty uh, intensely we're, we're a little bit behind yeah um but we have been watching it and um that is very cartoony violence. that's true yeah man you're not gonna believe this week's episode <laughs> it's all kinds of wrong <laughs> they do go over the line yeah to where you're just like oh that's oh i don't know if i want to see this but yeah. you're laughing yeah <laughs> uh okay this last one is a little bit spoilery about the overall direction of westworld season two so if you don't want to know the direction you should probably stop listening and skip ahead now <clears throat> Okay, when when uh, Entertainment Weekly was talking with Westworld showrunners Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan, they found out each season has its own title, and the titles are a clue of what the season is about. Um, if the if the first season was a journey inward, Nolan said, "This is a journey outward. This is a search for what else is beyond the park and what else is in the park. Are there more parks? How big is the park? What's beyond the park?" We think of our seasons as discrete components in the series to the point where we've named our seasons. The first season was called The Maze. The second season is called The Door. That's it. Very interesting. Yeah. So maybe The Door is another metaphor. Yeah. And I think somewhat what we've been talking about or speculating. It's not too spoilery. Yeah. 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 I'm happy to hear it, though. That sounds pretty cool. And that's it for the news. Let's get into some listener feedback. You want to go first? Cool. Okay. Becky Price says, I'm pretty much always wrong in my assumptions of Westworld, but somehow that makes the show more fun. I was absolutely convinced that Bernard couldn't have been a droid because he felt too robot-like in the first couple episodes. And I thought for sure the writers were trying to hoodwink us into believing a human was a droid. This and many other instances throughout season one make me realize that I have no earthly idea what to expect, and I love that. I do feel a little conflicted in my understanding of the events in episode 10. I feel like Maeve definitely had some sort of awakening, since we saw the storyline narrative she was supposed to follow, which included something like Reach Mainland. Since she made the decision to stay at the parks, I have to assume she's thinking for herself. However, I don't feel like Dolores could have had an awakening. Uh, although Ford convinced her that she really was finally thinking for herself, she followed his exact narrative down to the very end. Could she really have been free thinking if Ford knew exactly the moment Dolores would come up behind him and pull the trigger, as his speech implied? Perhaps it's misdirection from the show, or perhaps I'm overanalyzing an overtly analytical show, but I just don't see how Dolores is acting a free will at this point. But then again, I'm seriously wrong 100% of the time on this show. <laughs> <laughs> and so are we <laughs> yeah those are per i mean i'm we're wondering the same thing right you just can't know yeah at I, this point. Um, I agree with that i think it's a totally fair point yeah um but there also is he also does say and also imply that she is being given the choice mm -hmm. on the other hand he's such an orchestrator of everything 
Um, I think it's a really valid question. I mean, yeah, it seems like he's pretty sure she's going to do it. Cause what if she would have came up behind him and go, no, I don't really want to do it. What would he have said? <laughs> ah, damn. I just oh. insulted everybody and now I have to retire. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been more uh, kind of interesting if that had played out more like he wasn't sure what she was going to do. But, but maybe we didn't get to see the point where he said to her, Hey, what do you want to do? <laughs> and that's right, what right. they decided to do. Uh, I'll kill you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'll, All right. I'll adjust the yeah. speech. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as far as Maeve goes, I wonder, we didn't really talk too much about it, but you got to wonder, we don't know who programmed her, right? We don't. I think it leads you to guess Ford because mm-hmm. he's behind everything else, seemingly. Um, but it, it's not clear. Yeah, we I don't know. That's a mystery that's left. Yeah. Jillian Moreau says, as I've said before, I loved the reveal of the man in black being William. It completely surprised me. Oh, cool. And perhaps that's due to binging it, not having that time in between to analyze the show the way I normally do with shows I watch weekly. Cough, Walking Dead, cough. <clears throat> but regardless, that was great, along with the Bernard reveal earlier on. Maeve keeps me guessing. Is she thinking on her own? I agree with Becky that she definitely had some sort of awakening. The way the episode slash season ended was magnificent. All the chaos. Dolores taking out Ford. God, I'm so excited for season two. (laughs) Yeah, and maybe Ford wasn't even Ford. Maybe he was a host. So that brings another light to what her choice may be or may not be. I'm saying there's like a 65% chance it wasn't even him. (laughs) <laughs> it all depends on his contract. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but um yeah, and I agree with uh Jillian about Maeve too, because there's um that fake out kind of happens twice. The first time you think she's awakened, we actually see her dialogue being selected mm-hmm. in advance. Yeah. And then like, no, the I, second time around, you're like, oh, she's really thinking on her own now. And then you find out, nah, it's programmed. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, the key would be if I was Maeve. I'd want to look at my little iPad and (laughs) say something different than whatever it said. But I guess it doesn't (laughs) start saying it until you're talking. Right. (laughs) Right. That's enough to make you go mad right there. I'd be like, flipperty gibbet. (laughs) (laughs) Damn, it said flipperty gibbet. Damn, it said flipperty gibbet. Oh, well. Sandy Parsons simply writes, love me some Dolores. Yeah. We agree with you. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mark Kirkman. says hi david and jason this season was a journey for all characters within it dolores's path is self-awareness and where she will be going william's story as a whole of who he was is and becomes to be in the season Maeve becoming aware and putting forth a narrative that was left by ford oh that's his thoughts about the the ending she thinks she did or she thinks he did it the truth about Bernard and who he represented and who he was created to be like Arnold. The characters played out in the season in a story of self-discovery for each of them. Then to lead us to a new story that is just beginning to be told with the new season. There will be more stories in the new season to unravel more truths that we have yet to see from each of these characters. Yeah, totally. Season one was an introduction to this world only, but I want to see more of what the overall story of Delos and the other parks that play into this new narrative that Ford just started and what role he plays in it. The show's writing is so intense and it makes Crichton's original screenplay look like a short story. Being a fan of the original movie and the sequel Future World, I found this show to be more intense and intriguing. With every episode ending, wanting more from the next. This is a continuing tale of people becoming and ending those that are 
fading away. Host equals becoming and the guests fading away from the world. Yeah, so the end of the show, maybe all the humans will be dead. Yeah, that certainly uh, feels like it's heading that direction, but um, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. We'll see. And last, uh, Becky, who you read her message first, but she also sent in a call last week. It was a little too late, but I thought we'd play it this time. So here we go. Hey, Jason and David, it's Becky from Savannah. Just wanted to call in and say thanks for doing the podcast. Um, The possibility of this podcast is really the reason I joined the Patreon group. So I'm really grateful that it's come to fruition before season two of Westworld airs in April. Um, But I just wanted to call in and kind of give my thoughts on season one, um, particularly episode seven that you're covering this week. Um, Because I think episode seven really exemplifies what a superior show Westworld is to other shows that are out there. Um, whenever I talk to people about the show and what I compare it to, if they haven't seen the show yet, and I know you guys kind of mentioned Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad, Sopranos last week, I always compare it to, um, Game of Thrones and Lost, um, cause those are the two that I feel like are the most similar Game of Thrones, just merely for production value and writing. Well, it's a complex show. I don't think that it's a quarter of complex as complex as Westworld is, um, and they don't try and misdirect you like this show does. Lost did try to misdirect you and had lots of mystery and everything. And while I found Lost to be enjoyable to watch at the end of every season, at the end of the show, I was felt completely dissatisfied um, because they just left so much unanswered. I felt like I had invested a lot of viewing time and I didn't get uh, enough reward for my investment. Um, I think Westworld has managed to balance that perfectly, and I think that's why they're so good. On top of the fact that they're best-in-class production, music, acting, writing, all that, they've just found this perfect balance and made it just a really enjoyable show. Um, they've got mystery that they let you in on um, as the show progresses. They've got as the show progresses, they've got mystery that you know is going to be answered down the road in a future episode or. Uh, future season and then they've got material that they kind of leave to your interpretation as a viewer um but i think episode seven really was like the culmination i think of of them answering some mysteries that needed to be answered because i think episodes one through six they introduced a lot of mystery particularly the last couple of episodes and they were kind of approaching that threshold where it was almost too much for the viewer to process at once But then episode seven, they kind of just unloaded and it was like, here's your answers. And uh, the revelation of Bernarnold was awesome. I love that they hold no prisoners. As soon as they said what door, you knew what was going on. And I I love all three of those characters. I didn't want to see Teresa die. I didn't want to see Bernard do it. I didn't want to see Ford be such a dickhead. But (laughs) God, I love that they took it to that level of cruelty and having Bernard kill his his own lover and Ford walked away god it was so fucking awesome but um anyway um love this show everything about it's absolute perfection and i can't wait to listen to you guys uh do the live show as it airs in april have a great week yeah i'm glad you i'm glad you called in yeah it's good to have you be so excited about the show helps fuel us and keeping going with it yeah for sure and i agree with becky that was a great great episode yeah. we probably say that every week <laughs> but that that one had some big reveals and some great action where it all started to come together yeah and when she uh, just said seven i'm like oh it's all kind of a blur to me but then the what door comment crystallized it oh yeah yeah, yeah that, that was maybe the greatest moment of the whole season 
where I was like, oh my God. <laughs> um, I, I want to comment on Game of Thrones because I'm going to fall right into that trap because I love Game of Thrones and Lost. Um, I actually think Game of Thrones in its early seasons was pretty complex. Uh, and maybe it's not as tightly interwoven because some of the complexity is there's so many more characters. Yeah, it's complex in its vastness and the relationships yeah. between all those characters for sure. Yes, but there was also some deep stuff going on. I mean, you don't find out who like touched off the whole main plot of Game of Thrones until like three or four seasons in. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of a sudden you you were like, oh, that's it's the guy bleep. that did that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I think they were playing a pretty deep, complex game there. Now, it got simpler in the last couple seasons when it was D&D writing it instead of George R. R. Martin. Yeah, true. Um, but it, it's that. a great I comparison. I mean, two very high-quality programs. Yeah, and I like the idea of Westworld melding together some of the best aspects of Lost and Game of Thrones. That feels kind of true to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. I agree with that. All right. That's our show. Episode five. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm so relieved to have this under our belts. It was really fun and it was very hard. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it was that, um, I mean, the rewatch helped us Yeah, I understand the show better, but it, it's hard to take on two episodes of this show at once. It's yeah. just a lot of complicated stuff. <laughs> I know. And, but I'm also, um, it, it, you're right. It's good to have the chance to look back especially who knows how it's going to be going forward but this season as we've mentioned just changes so much on rewatch when you realize that you've been dealing with multiple time periods and think especially that just the multiple time period thing then it's suddenly a whole different ball game yeah and i would say to our listeners if um if you're a big fan of this show which obviously you are if you're listening to us Mm -hmm. and you watched it once if you got time before april 22nd go back and give it another watch because i think you'll really enjoy it the second time yeah yeah in the meantime if you want to get in touch with us you can email us at westworld at podcastica.com you can send us a voice message to westworld at podcastica.com and maybe we will play it on the air you probably will you can find us on the web at facebook.com slash westworldcast and be sure to check out our other shows at podcastica.com and legions coming up that's if you guys watch that at all uh we have not you you should check it out i think you might like it it's it's a head trip it makes you feel like you're schizophrenic which doesn't sound like a selling point but (laughs) oh man if we watch that alternating with westworld yeah actually become schizophrenic (laughs) uh next episode of this podcast we will cover season two episode one entitled journey into night which happens to be the name of Ford's final narrative. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. That episode. Oh, man. So excited for you. Yeah. It's a few weeks away. It premieres Sunday, April 22nd. And I think we're going to be out on Wednesdays. Does it work for you to record Tuesdays? Uh, most yeah, of the time? I think so. Pending our. Um uh, the vagaries of the sports schedule. We may have mm. to adjust a little bit, but um, most weeks, hopefully, yes. Okay, so our our tentative plan right now, because of uh, Walking Dead, 
uh, I can't. We can't publish on Tuesdays because I will be doing Walking Dead cast on Mondays, and so hopefully David and I will be doing Westworld cast on Tuesday nights, which gives you guys more time to write in and process the show and us too. And then we'll be publishing on Wednesday, but we'll have to just kind of take it week by week. Yep. All right, that's our show. One day you will perish. You will lie with the rest of your kind in the dirt. Your dreams forgotten. Your horrors effaced. Your bones will turn to sand. And upon that sand, a new god will walk. But until then, we'll see you next time. <laughs>